not winning 90% of your new business because you have some sort of incredible value. I'm gonna take a bit of a different angle. You know, I've got a budget this big. I'm gonna give it to you because you have a, a really killer plan. You give a Red Bull to a turtle, what do you expect? <laughs> I think that's a dead turtle. <laughs> so let's move on to... Uh, Be break. Cheers. 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 Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way, with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Insurance Pint Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Reed, and as always, I'm joined by my colleagues, Steve Earle, CEO of Cheap Insurance. Hello. <laughs> Never fa never fails to amuse me. <laughs> Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitch Insurance. Hello. And Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance. Welcome, painters. And today we are super pleased to be joined by Dario Batista, CEO of iSure. Dario, welcome. Hello, guys. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Happy to be here. Great to have you here. Let's get things rocking and start off with our favorite question. As us being all music people, or at least half of us anyway, what's your favorite Canadian band or artist of all time? I think Tom knows the answer, Rush. I'm a big Rush fan. Uh, they, they, they grew up in my neighborhood. Uh, you know, the first drummer of Rush was uh, went to my grade school, probably used the same drum kit I used in grade school. So, you know, I, uh, roots, roots are there for sure. What musical instrument do you play, Daryl? I am a drummer. Wow. I was a trombone player for about a month. Couldn't hit an F. Traded with the drummer. Never looked back. Awesome. <laughs> now, when you're not digitizing insurance, what do you do in your spare time? Um, right now, I'm drumming a lot, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, so, I mean, that. Obviously, family. We love travel, that kind of thing. Uh, I bike ride a bit. But music, for me, is the big thing. Um, seeing bands, listening to bands, I'm getting into the jazz scene in Toronto, uh, checking out that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that that that's my thing. Awesome, and uh, maybe tell all the listeners you've your daughter's in a, a a special play this summer. Yeah, so my youngest, my youngest is in Windsor. She's at University of Windsor. She's a drama major, and she's in Romeo and Juliet, uh, which is on now in Windsor. So anyone in Windsor, go go check it out. She is Juliet. Uh, when you're at an insurance conference, Daryl, tell the listeners what's your drink of choice. Yeah, I, 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 it depends on my mood, but my go-to would be a vodka soda, simply because they can't mess it up. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. And uh, tell me, uh, what's the best thing you've ever smoked on your smoker? Oh, boy. I did a really good pork butt for 18 hours. All right, 18-hour pork butt. Got to love it. Uh, I, now, to share with the listeners, what book are you reading or podcast are you listening to right now? Uh, you guys. <laughs> All right, good. At this point, we're going to pass you back over uh, over to Tom. Thanks for the intro there, Jeff and Dario. So let, let's talk about iSure now. So where did iSure come from? You weren't always the principle of iSure, uh, as, as I recall. Um, I've always been about building. The whole reason why I got into insurance um, was because I just wanted to build a business bigger than myself. It was that simple. Insurance happened to be the opportunity. I was coming out of business school. Um, I did an MBA at Schulich, and um, I didn't really want to work downtown. Uh, most of my family were self-employed. That's what I knew. Family friend had a little brokerage, so I started there, basically. And, uh, you know, kitchen table insurance, as I call it, 
uh, starting from dollar one. I'm a first generation in this business and uh, writing home and auto policies at night and then manually quoting them during the day and calling people. And that, that was my routine. And so I built a pretty decent personal lines practice. And then I focused on commercial and I built a pretty good size commercial pa- uh, practice, which was the majority of my business. And then um, I clustered with a few other gentlemen and that was the name of that organization was Belpac Capri. And I created their commercial department and all of that. And we built that out. And then the day came when, um, you know, two, two, it was a five, five person cluster and two of them wanted a different direction than, than the other three wanted to go. So I led the other three and there was, you know, we had an easy sort of separation agreement. So it wasn't, wasn't difficult to do. And we did that. Um, and then at that point, it was really a question of how do I grow this business? Um, what does that look like? I was buying one of the partners out, one of the th- one of the other two that came with me. So I needed to finance that. I, I was inheriting a portfolio that was, you know, a, a business that was designed to carry, you know, $10 million in GWP at the time. And we probably had about $7 million renewing that year because, you know, two of the guys were going with their portfolios. Um, and then just, you know, looking around and thinking about how do we grow, that's where the iShare concept came from. It was it was more about um, rethinking the business model around distribution at the time. And you have to, you know, you got to be in context. This is 2006 that I'm going through this process, right? Um, and, you know, the, the way to grow your businesses, you know, producers, the producer model, which is more of a traditional model, there, there was acquisition that was available. All these things were available. And really, I sure grew out of the idea of what I had observed in the travel business, which is where my family was. My dad was in the travel business, did quite well in that business. They sold all their, they sold those businesses in uh, 99 and in 2000. But what I observed in that industry was distribution, sort of where it went with Expedia. And I, I, you know, the industry, our industry wasn't really getting what those models were. They weren't direct models. They were, they were travel agencies. They were no different than what uh, I was as a kid working for my father in, in the travel agent uh, agency. And so I thought, are there learnings there that I could bring and rethink the model a little bit? So really what we are at the end of the day was, you know, most traditional brokerages rely on producers to bring in the business, but the brokerage itself doesn't own that relationship with the customer. So I thought, is there is there a way to put a brand out there, back it up with really great people so that the brand starts attracting the, the business, right? And that that's how it started. Uh, I sure, you know, was a name I came up with uh, sitting in my den. And then it was, uh, you know, I looked it up and it was available. So I snagged it um, and uh, uh, traded it and all that stuff. And we started off uh, down this journey of trying to figure out what does that model look like where you're generating business through your brand as opposed to, you know, more of the traditional model. And effectively, that's what we do today. And it's been a journey of 15 years. It's just been constant evolution, evolution, evolution as we've gone along. So, Dario, your uh, digitization strategy is a little bit different uh, compared to other modern brokers. Can you break that down for us a little bit? Yeah, I guess it has its origins in terms of how we started. We started off buying leads uh, largely, right? So to understand the market and understand what acquisition costs look like, understand what the back end needed to look like. We spent a lot of time doing that. It was about two years we did that. And at the same time, we were building out our capabilities on on the other side. And it, it really it had two paths. One was um, paid. So understanding paid and doing that side of the business and doing it well, uh, a little bit of SEO, and then it morphed heavily into social uh, as well. So we do, a, you know, we do a lot of social as well. Um, and so when, when in 
January on January 1st of 2010, we cut off all leads uh, because we had built up that capability in the background that we could generate the business ourselves. We were able to benchmark it relative to what it would cost us to buy leads. And then we just ran with that and then constantly evolving and tweaking and, and uh, building it from, from that foundation. This is familiar. We've talked about this before, need, needing to buy leads when you're starting. Yeah. So that was a big thing for us early on. I needed to understand, um, could you do this with a traditional model in the background? Did you need a call center? What did that call center need to look like? What, what, how did you have to structure your people? Did you need different technology internally, new processes, all of this type of thing, right? So you, get, so you got rid of buying leads. You still, you, you still have paid SEO and social. Have the, have the sources by, say, the percentage, has that changed over time? Are you less social than you were or more social? How are the weightings going over time? Yeah, so I, I would say we have a large social presence. Um, we haven't been flexing that muscle as much uh, in the last couple of years. We still use it. Um, it is, I do want to fo continue focusing on that. One of the challenges we had on the social side was really tracking um, the effectiveness of the marketing. So getting it right down the funnel, right? So we've just brought in some new technology. Uh, we just launched it and it's, it's going to enable us to do that. So we'll be able to get back into the social game. Social, there are two sides, right? There's the organic side. And yes, we're there. We post all the time. We have a very active page. We have 30,000 followers. Like we've got that happening. But social has become very much a pay for play environment, right? And so we started doing more of the pay early on, but I couldn't really attribute that effectively. Um, we're going to be able to. So we'll probably get back into that game. Do you track your close ratio separate by source? Yeah, we do now. It was it was harder to do before. We did it. We were able to make assumptions and you know think about it by proxy. We were able to figure out ways to get around it. But now we'll have more of a like a direct uh, way to do that. Again, you're one of the brokers like Adam that I track to see how your ranking is improving. You know how much traffic you're getting, and we can kind of surmise based on we have got metrics and we're tracking 20 of the top brokers across Canada to see how they're growing. So I've obviously seen that you get a ton of traffic to iSure with all the things you're doing organically. So bravo! I know how hard we all on this call know how hard that is to do. It's like the heavy lifting versus taking steroids, which is as Steve said, pay to play. You know, I, I say you got two land. You got land you own, which is organic, and you get rented land, which is pay to play stuff, right? And we all want to have better owned land, right? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, uh, my approach is a little bit different. I do agree with you. I think, you know, our SEO game has really uh, grown over the last few years. And, th and that was by design. Um, we, we, we became more focused on the SEO side. We we're always good at it, but I wouldn't say we were great at it. Um, and we, we started investing more resources and strategy around that side of the business. The the paid piece still remains in my mind very effective, but you you have to really be able to track um, the costs associated with it, like what your acquisition cost is at the end of the day, right? And, and you really have to understand everything behind that funnel, behind that closing and what that looks like. Uh, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that even the biggest SEO plays still pay and still do paid, right? And I, I don't think you can get away from paid I think it's a reality. Google's not in the business of giving away stuff. And, and so paid will, will always be there. You, in my view, to be effective in digital, you have to have the SEO side, but you also have to have a really good paid play. 
um, for, for longevity. That, that's sort of my view. Of I'll, it. I'll, I'll jump in. You can, you can agree or disagree on it, but I'd be willing to bet you agree. I don't know a single person achieving any modicum of success in SEO that isn't spending a relative shit ton to achieve that. So I'll go to an overarching statement. There are no free leads. Every lead has a cost and how good you run an attribution model to tracking that, whether it be your team that's generating the SEO, your team and your spend to Google for paid, or even your time spent in the local parade to win that business card or something like all of it added up to a resource going in to generate it. And some of them are more scalable than others, but it's all, so it, it's cool to hear that you're, you're tracking it and you can figure out your ROI, but um, that's, that's my sense on it. It's yeah, no, you make a very good point, Adam. I mean, the reality is paid uh, SEO costs money. You have to pay writers. You there's technology to track this stuff. There, there's, you know, there, there's investment in SEO. Uh, there, there's no question about it, but I don't think you can stand just on that one leg. Let's put it that way. You know, I, I think maybe you could have gotten away with that in the past. I don't think you can anymore. Um, and, and you know, with SEO, I look at it as SEO as being more of a blunt instrument, to be honest with you. Like, I see it as a blunt marketing instrument. Um, the, the paid tends to be the more precise side of the business. So SEO will will gain awareness. I see it very much as a brand play. I see it as a credibility play and all of that. Um, but ultimately, the the sort of, you know, drilling down on the specific client you're looking for, where you're looking for them, when you're looking for them, all of that, you can't achieve that level of precision with SEO. You just cannot. Uh, so that's why you really need both. Um, I don't think you can live in just paid anymore, and I don't think you can live in SEO anymore. I think you need to have both. I'm curious of that if you can share what what are you using to measure your social now? Yeah, so we brought in HubSpot. Um, we decided on HubSpot. We held off making this decision for a while, um, and it was largely because we were really working through our new business process, and we were, we we're trying to figure out. You know, there's HubSpot, there's Salesforce, there's a whole you know other ones out there. Which what need did we really have? Um, and, and where would that investment dollar be best spent? And we got to a point where um, HubSpot was, was clearly the best option for us where we were. We didn't need a sales management tool. Um, we had really good sales process. Um, yeah, it would help, but it wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't change the game. Where HubSpot really works for us is in that attribution, tying our marketing right to our, our sales funnel. Right, so it fills in that gap that we we had, um, and and is you know it, it's it's already providing really interesting insights on on what we're doing and, and how we're managing the business. So Dario, let's let's switch gears here for a second. Uh, so I was trolling your website recently, and one of the values that you show on your website is the fact that you're independent, and there's very timely. Uh, there's, you know, a Canadian underwriter just had a panel. We actually have an episode on broker independence. So I'm interested in your perspective on it. You know, wh why do you put independence on your website? You know, it is who we are. Uh, you know, we are independent. So we are fully independent. So it's 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 a matter of also transparency in terms of being, you know, uh, genuine in, in terms of what, what you are as an organization. And our organization is completely independent. So we have we have no relationships financially with anyone outside of the owner, <laughs> effectively. You know, like this is my business, and and so there's no 
there, there, there's no other relationship other than that. And, and I think that just from a positioning perspective, I think it speaks to who we are. Um, do I think customers care? I think customers care about you picking up the phone, to be honest with you. I think customers care about the service they get. Um, that's what customers really care about. Uh, and, and you have to remember when, when you put those things on a website, you're speaking to your customer, but you're speaking to a whole bunch of stakeholders as well, right? You're speaking to your insurance companies, you're speaking to your suppliers, you're speaking to prospective employees, you're speaking to a whole gamut of people. It's not just for the customer. Um, so independence really speaks to, you know, it's just to tell the world this is what we are. To keep rolling with that on, on what customers care about, you, you have a cool section of your site that, that compares iSure against other distributors. Um, and I think because of our audience, like we don't really have anyone listen to this thing that's the general public. We have a bunch of insurance geeks and executives listening to it. So we can also say that like it, it, it is a bit of a proxy of comparing brokers against other distributors and things. And why do, why do you think that's important? And, and have you had customers sort of comment on it and notice? Well, so that that chart that you're you're talking about i created that gosh 10 maybe maybe it was one of the first charts i created and that chart really was an exercise i went through to try and understand from a market perspective where do we fit what is it what is it we're doing how do we fit with these competitors right like what what it what and, and that was a chart i'd used personally to vet out the marketing plan and and where we would take the business and sort of the direction and the fundam fundamentals of the strategy and then i thought well it's quite useful so i just you know cleaned it up and i put it on the site and it's been there ever since um customers when you do get to have the conversation with customers especially if they're a little more sophisticated they do care um you know i'm amazed look i i'm talking to mps here right they have no clue what we do you know, they really don't understand the dynamics of how insurance is is uh, is distributed. And, you know, the ability to have a conversation with a client to say, you know, the duty of care that we have is to you, whereas an agency relationship is completely different. is something they don't realize. But when they do, they, they do pause and listen. You mentioned some really great, insightful things about running, uh, you know, digital, uh, basically paid ads with your SEO strategy. How can you tell if you're marketing when you're doing some brand awareness, how much of what you're willing to pay over what the actual cost of lead is, is worth it to get your brand out there? Well, you know, part part of the challenge, I think, is, um, I mean, the, the concept of unaided brand awareness, mm -hmm. the market is so massive. I think that 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 that's a hard one for any of us at our scale and probably a lot of companies to achieve without a whole different set of marketing mix, right? Um, you know, for for us, the I look at the brand play, I look at the SEO play as, you know, just getting our message out there in terms of, you know, a lot, a lot of blog writing and things like that. And then the, the brand play comes into the funnel as they come down. So once they've engaged with you and, and how do you try uh, to get your message in front of them? Right. And, and in terms of measuring, I don't see these as individual points. Like, I don't think you can look at um, the digital marketing side like you do buying a lead. I think it's more of a customer journey and you have to understand that. Like, you know, we, we get a lot of phone calls today that are not attributing to ads. Well, clearly they saw us somewhere. So they saw us before we 
launched HubSpot. So we'll get insights on what those calls, where, where they came from over time, right? Um, so that, that's, that's sort of the answer to that. It's, it's part of a much bigger mix. I mean, gone are the days of, you know, I'm going to spend 30 grand and uh, put radio spots and let them run for three months and see what happens. It's, it's just there's so many layers to this stuff and it's so sophisticated. You really have to stay on top of it. You can't do it from this corner of your desk anymore. Do you think the, the day's gone past um, your playbooks? I mean, you have some critical size and momentum and learning, but could, could a new brokerage start up and, and try and run your playbook today? Or do you, do you think those days are behind us? I should ask you that question. I think we both know the answer. It's, uh, it's tough. It's, uh, it would be very difficult. I mean, we, we have the advantage of, of Google knowing our site for 15 plus years. It's always been an active site. It's never been put in the penalty box. It's always been, you know, kept its nose clean and, and what have you. And what we find is when we, when we really started exercising our SEO muscle, it, it responded very quickly, um, which was great. Um, and so I think starting from scratch is a major, major investment these days. Um, I, I, I think, I think it's, uh, um, and, and the challenge I think for most brokers is, is they, they dabble in it. They go in for a little while, they don't like the results and they get out. If you, if you're going to go in you, you have to go all in. That's the other thing I did 15 years ago. I was all in like, you know, we were no longer producers. They, they, that was done. We became a corporate model. Everything got everything, all the business got put into the, the corporate, even my own portfolio, everything. And if that didn't work for you, there wasn't, you know, you weren't part of where we were going. So not that we built a digital side unit. We became that entirely, right? And that's our organization today. You, you burn the boats and there's no going back, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So Dario, quick question. Um, well, maybe it's not quick. You started, you've created a really good digital storefront and you've, you've done a tremendous job at that over the years do you still feel like the back shop is analog because we're dealing with suppliers that uh, aren't connecting to us in ways that they should? There's no question. I mean, the, the, the way we interact with our insurers has gotten better, but it's nowhere near where it should be. Um, you know, we, we've invested a lot in our own processes internally. In terms of documenting processes, creating processes, automating certain parts of it, like all of that, and we continue to invest in that. Um, and you know, we we then get to the interaction with the insurer, and we're faced with the portal, or we're faced with this, or we're faced with that, and that, that clearly is, uh, you know, a pain point for us. And I think anyone who's trying to do distribution on mass realizes that. Um, the you know, but we look at it. You know, we try to get some opportunity out of it. So we use those, you know, we use them for part of our training and things like that. Like we're able to do some things with them. But the, the truth is, um, I would like to see um, the industry just get more serious about about the inefficiencies associated with the way we transact business today. I mean, there's been a lot of work done, though. I mean, the policy downloads, all of those things, uh, the, the policy, the ability to, to deliver your policies electronically, uh, you know, no more paper, all of those things are, are positive, but we still have a long way to go. So very pointed question. Could you sell more insurance for your suppliers if they were more efficient to deal with? Uh, if I wasn't investing as much money in dealing with that, absolutely. You know, it, it's a hundred cents on the dollar. 
right? I only have so much money to, to invest. And, and if, if it's all going towards inefficient process, I can't invest in marketing, you know, and, and sort of in the digital world, it's scalable. I mean, you could, you could double the business tomorrow. Do you, do you have a grasp on, um, you've been in this for quite a while, but on the, the escalating curve of, um, lead generation costs this, and I guess the next leap is where that goes for acquisition cost. Yeah. So, I mean, lead generation cost has gone up, you know, we see that, uh, cost of, of clicks and all that stuff. I mean, that, that's all more expensive. Um, we have, we have, we did see through the fall that acquisition costs went up. Um, and I think that was a function. There are a lot of components to it, right? It, it, that, a lot of that comes down to closing rates, down to the quality of the business or, or, and all of those things. We have seen it come down quite a bit this year, this calendar year. Um, and and we're, we're actually in a really good spot from that perspective, but we're paying more per click than we did before. We're just more efficient at, at, at the closing and the bottom end of that funnel. We've alluded a few times to the fact that, you know, you slash iSure are one of the original digital brokers, right? You were part of that uh, early adopter curve from from some time ago. Uh, but you're you're not you're not Hub, you're not BrokerLink, you're not Westland. <clears throat> so even though you're you're a leading broker, you're not one of the you know the the brokers that has revenues that starts with a B. Has that have you seen your relationship with carriers uh, affected by that? Like you know, 15 years ago when you started. There probably weren't any billion-dollar brokerages, or they were, you know, they were close to it, maybe. But now there's multiple brokerages with multiple billions in premium revenue. Have have, have you seen any shift in your relationship with carriers because of this emergence of these mega brokers? You know, when I when I think about the my history and and what I've observed, I mean, carriers have always focused on you know giving a little more time to their bigger brokers. And arguably, there are probably more bigger brokers back in the day than there are today. There are fewer bigger brokers, um, if, if you get my drift, because they've, uh, they've, just, they've just become massive. They're just fewer, but bigger, bigger, bigger. Yes. Um, a, a lesson I was taught, someone said to this to me early on in my career, and it's shaped the way I approach my companies from since day one. Uh, he said to me, you know, and this would have been in 94, um, you know, there there are 10 million customers in Ontario you want to do business with and 10 insurance companies you'd like to do business with. Don't mess that up. He didn't use the word mess, but you know, you get, you get the point of it. Yeah. We, we get the drift. And, and his point was, you know, what I took from that is for me to be effective, I need my partners. So I've, I've always really, really focused on being a really good partner for my carriers and it's paid off over the years. Um, you know, do we have the same seat at the table as as some of the mega brokers? No, but do I get a seat at the table? Yeah, I I, I tend to not overextend myself with insurance companies. Like I really spend a lot of time and effort managing that and and really thinking of it as a partnership. Um, you know, the latest hard market market cycle was really a good wasn't a bad time for us to be honest with you. Like we 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 did quite well, especially commercial over the last few years, but. You know, that, that was sort of, we were fortunate that we went in on solid footing, right? Now, look, that stuff can change overnight. We all know that. And we're much more at risk with smaller portfolios than bigger portfolios. And so we probably have to be a little more careful than, than larger players would, would need to be. But 
notwithstanding, you know, I think if, if you do a good job and you're, you're giving consistent results and you're, you're really not getting in the way and causing problems, um, I've found that generally speaking, the relationship has been, has been strong with all the carriers. What's uh, Dario, what positive changes have you seen in the industry in the last few years? Uh, I know we went through COVID and you saw a lot of things hyper accelerate, but uh, anything jump out with uh, in the last three years? You know, it's uh, a couple of things from my perspective. I mean, digital is no longer a dirty word. Uh, although I do agree with you guys, modern brokerage is a better way to characterize it. Um, digital is no longer a dirty word. Um, uh People are embracing technology more than they have in the past. I think they're beginning to understand what technology is. It's not some silver bullet that I'm going to buy a piece of software and away I go. Uh, I think people who do that or companies that do that, you know, are always sadly mistaken. It is part of a much bigger picture. Um, and although not quite, but you know, the, the idea of centralization and call centers and and finding efficiencies through that kind of thing, the attitude around that is beginning to change too. Some other things that have changed over time, and you said digital is no longer a dirty word. Um, I'd love to hear your comments on how the producer model has been reborn under the title of branch model or franchise. And also clusters kind of went the way of the dodo bird, but is that starting to come back and make more sense in this world of scale is everything? I think there's, lots of value in having local brokers but i do not think that the the how do i put this i think that what for the drive of for efficiency and where the world is going the consumer the kind of service a consumer wants they will struggle to get it in that kind of model and i'll say it this way when a big a big metric we use in our office and it's something that our, all our teams are managed on our managers are are bonused on meeting these targets is a religious sort of kpi that, that we do is 95 percent of our calls have to be answered in 30 seconds period you don't call and get a voicemail if you call us shouldn't happen happen five percent of the time perhaps if that and so you know that becomes a very difficult proposition to offer if you have sort of this multiple franchise model. When a customer calls, the ability to have a consistent process, no matter who touches that file, is something that becomes very difficult to manage on a decentralized type of model. Um, and I, I think the consumer is expecting that kind of service more and more. Um, there will always be a segment of the market that, that will want to be local. I don't think that changes. You know, I, I was saying to a broker, he, he was a, a local smaller broker in a, in a, in a, you know, town outside of Toronto. He was talking about how he did digital marketing and he was getting all this kind of business he didn't want. And I asked him, why are you doing digital marketing? Like, why? He says, well, you're supposed to. And I said, well, what's your business? Like, forget the digital marketing. Like, what is your business? He says, well, we're local and all this stuff. So I said, so my comment to him, because what he did was he just went to a marketing firm and yeah, they're going to sell you all. That's what they do, right? You, you guys have all been down that road. You, you know. Um, I said, if I'm you, I'm sponsoring the Kiwanis Festival. I'm in the Santa Claus Parade. I'm 
captain of the local net local area, right? That's what I'm doing. Um, I'm not investing on the digital side. The challenge with that model is when you start trying to scale that model is how do you how do you control it? Right? How do you find efficiencies in it? How do you how do you control that model? Um, and you know, I believe that that at scale, um, you know, the the a centralized approach is a better approach. To be honest with you, that's that's my opinion, um, because we can provide a consistent user experience to anyone who calls iShare, no matter where they are in the province. I don't think you get the same thing with others. And then the other problem you run into is is everyone aligned with the same goals that drives the business forward? That's one of the reasons why clusters fall apart. I mean, we, we would, I was in a cluster. Everyone would talk about, yeah, we're going to do this. And then all five would walk out and do what made sense for them. Right. It, it's just, that's what it is. And so now you're just multiplying that issue, you know, by a hundred or 200 and it becomes very, very difficult. So this, this rolls us back on track of to like, what other negative changes have you seen happen in the industry in the last few years? One of the negatives, I think, as an industry, we've we've lost we we've lost a little bit of our creativity on how to develop business. I think um, we're we're not willing to take chances on doing things the way maybe we did in the past. Uh, I think that that you know all the capital that's come in has come into for buying and consolidation. I think that that that's going to need to be dealt with at some point. Like someone has to produce new business. Someone has to produce new markets, new opportunities. And I don't. Th- I think we've lost a little bit of that over time. Um, and I'd like, you know, that that's that's a bit of a negative. Um, you talk to a lot of players; they they all want to buy the sure thing. No one's actually thinking about how do how do we create something new. And and the worry on that is if we don't do it as a distribution, someone else might. I think is something to think about, right? And it's not going to be an individual piece of technology that's going to come and do that, but it's it's more going to be a willingness to want to put capital in that in that world. So, Dario, what do you think it will take to succeed in the future of broker distribution, the future of insurance distribution? Uh, what's what's your how do you see brokers thriving and surviving down the road? I sort of talked about this in the past, where I think it's we're in we're in sort of this world of the, the rise of professional management. I think we're getting to a point as as an industry where uh, running a brokerage isn't about being a really good producer or being a really you know knowing your you know knowing your product or or that type of thing as much as it is about you know being able to build a company. I, th- I think that 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 is more so that's a big part of. To, to be successful and, and the pillars around that, I mean, is strategy, really mapping out strategy, understanding how to build strategy and do those kinds of things. Um, building really good processes, documenting your processes, having consistency, understanding what they are, constantly review them, constantly learning and innovating those, those that side of it. Thinking about the technology to enable all of that, right? It's not just getting technology for the sake of technology, but you know, what, what are, what are those, what are those technology pieces that will push push things forward for the organization capital i think you know brokerages need capital to do this this costs money this is not you know and so that speaks to um having access to capital or running uh, running a business that can get ca- access to capital right whatever that looks like um and and building sort of a culture of reinvesting in growth and reinvesting in growth and innovation and and people like you, you need you need to foster and build really good people, you know, both both as frontline people, leaders, all of those things. Right. 
and understanding and getting the people, you know, when it comes down to people, it's really about finding people the right fit in the right place. Um, you know, when, when you look at our business, our business surprises a lot of people because half of our revenues is commercial. A lot of people don't realize that. And we do have an account executive, so we do have producers, believe it or not. But they're producers focused on strictly commercial, mid and large commercial, because we provide them all the back end support to take care of the other stuff. Because we have the call center that manages all the personal lines leads. And we have, you know, someone who takes care of the VIP client and we can deal with the small business piece through our call center. Um, and so understanding all of those pieces and the kind of talent you need and where do you develop that talent? How do you develop that talent? I think is critical. You know, I, I, I want to make sure that, that I didn't come off as anti-producer guys, cause I, I, I'm not anti-producer. I just think that the producer of the future looks very different than the producer of today. And I think the producer of the future adds value, um, when they're talking about high, you know, um, like more technical, where the advice piece is, is more important. If that producer is just selling home and auto insurance, I think that's the producer model that that will be challenged in the future. Well, I, th I think what I heard you say, Daria, was that the skill set that um, is best best fit with the different classes of business. Like, let's call it, you know, generic business, whether that's home and auto or you know, mass business, home and auto, small business. That's becoming a more automated call centery kind of thing, and the producer, the account executive, is now required at you know at a higher end of the scale, whether that's technical or premium or you know higher end of the scale. It's more the more complex business still needs the human, both from a you know both from a, a technical perspective, a relationship perspective, a management perspective. Whereas a lot of the you know the the less complex business can and should be. You know, automated or or put into a call center and you know mass managed, not individually managed. That's what that's what I heard. Yeah, no, and that that's that's exactly it. I don't. I, I think that people want to talk to people, so I, I prefer the tech the, the call center. We talk to everyone. I think that that's critical in our industry, um, because of the nature of the product we sell. I don't think you can just put it online. Uh, someone's home and auto insurance. At least we're not there yet. I'm not saying it might not happen in the future, but I don't think we're there today. Um, but I think as you get into more complex products, you need that. That's where the producer should be focused. And I think, you know, I don't know if you're going to, you know, just to circle back to the conversation we had before where, Adam, you asked me about the producers and those types of models. You know, it's the producer model works if it has that that support to take care of all this other stuff for them and then gives them the tools they need to be able to play in that space. That's where the producer model, in my view, works and that's the future of the producer model so that they're just dealing with medium-sized accounts that are growing you know their boots on the ground they're never in the office they're out seeing they're developing they're building relationships in that space right that's 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 the piece on that side so when, we, when you look at people and talent that person is very different than someone who's gonna you know who's happy being on the phone and answering calls or someone in your you know, wherever else in your organization, right? So, so getting the right mix of people and developing that talent is is critical, I think, uh, for success in the future. Thanks, Dario. I also want to say thanks to IFS Premium Finance, our premier sponsor, as well as the Excalibur Read to Ride program. Thank you very much. Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS.
Cheers.